My name is Calvin Davis, and I will be doing the readings today. The first one is from Exodus 17. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages. As the Lord commanded, they camped at Raphidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the, some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hands the staff for which you struck the Nile, and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, the water will come up of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did this on the elder, in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Mazah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is it the Lord among us or not? So it came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his sons Joseph. Jacob well was there, and Jesus, tired by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciple had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than the other ancestors who gave us the well and with his sons and his flock drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will come in the spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may be never be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that this place where the people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your worship that you will not know, we worship in what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father such as these to worship him. God is the spirit, those who worship, he must worship spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. 
When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus is enter. I am he, the one who was speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished to see that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jacket and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Um, the Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. That in the beginning, that you called forth life out of nothing, that you stilled the chaotic waters and made a stable space for living. And we pray that you would do the same by your Holy Spirit for us today, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us and that your eternal life would bubble up in us and make us your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's scripture takes place at a well, and not just any well, a famous well, one near the property that the great biblical patriarch Jacob willed to his son Joseph more than a thousand years before. Here, Jesus, tired from his journey through Samaria on his way to his hometown in Galilee, pulls off the highway to take a little rest at this longtime tourist attraction. Then a young woman stops by to fill her bucket, and Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Now, this blows her mind. Because how could Jesus, a Jewish man, ask a Samaritan woman like her for water? Samaritans and Jews are two branches of the same social and religious tree that have grown completely apart. They're now hostile towards one another. It's like a United Church minister asking a fundamentalist Baptist preacher for advice, or vice versa. You just don't do that. You just don't do that. You don't associate with people like that because you might catch what they've got. Then his disciples are astonished that Jesus is just talking to a woman without first going to her husband. Jesus is violating decorum all over the place. Soon, though, Jesus shifts the conversation from everyday stuff like water to deeper stuff. If you knew the gift of God, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him for water, not the way, other way around. And if you did, Jesus says, he would have given you living water. Next slide. This leaves her a little confused. For her, living water means like a rushing river, water teeming with fish, with life, the kind that kind of attracts Beavers and deer, all that sort of stuff. Fresh, clear, crisp, not funky, sulfur-infused well water. Living water, she says, but you got no bucket. Where'd you get this stuff, and where is it? Soon it's clear that Jesus isn't talking about sipping on a bottle of Evian. This water's different, he says. The living water I give comes gushing up like a geyser into eternal life. 
The water she's been drinking can only satisfy her for a short period of time, but the water he gives will never leave her soul thirsty again. And what he says obviously catches her interest. Sir, she says, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Give me some of that living water you're talking about. And Jesus gives it. It's clear in the story that Jesus gives it. What's strange in my mind, though, is how he gives this living water to her. She asks, and suddenly Jesus is peering into the deepest aching places of her heart unprompted. He tells her that she's had five husbands, and the man she's living with now isn't one of them. Next slide, please. Now, that might sound crazy to us, but we're not talking about, you know, someone in middle age being on their fifth divorce after a string of, you know, Las Vegas chapel weddings. This isn't what we're talking about. Some are likely deaths. And convention said that she would have to marry her husband's, husband's brother if her husband died. Some could have been divorces because men could divorce women under certain circumstances. Could have all been deaths or all been divorces. We don't quite know. And the fact that she's not married now is a taboo. It's one that makes her sinful and unclean in the eyes of her community. What's clear, though, is that this woman's life isn't pleasant. I mean, just imagine what it's like to be her. I mean, this is something that John's gospel often does. Last week it was with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and we're, this, we're always invited into the shoes of a conversation partner with Jesus in the gospel of John. So imagine that you're not only poor, and as a woman you have no control over your life. One husband dies, you're passed off to another. Just when you think everything's okay, the same thing happens yet again. You can't leave any of them, because how would you eat? You'll even risk all sorts of shame in shacking up with another guy just to keep fed and keep uh, from being hungry. And then when you do, the people turn their backs. You're a pariah, you're unclean, you're a nobody. Shame, failure, no agency, no family stability, no way out. There's no way out. It's a dead end. This is a life that has completely dried up. It's a life that has completely dried up. Imagine yourself in her rather dusty sandals. In fact, my guess is that you don't have to imagine very hard. My guess is that each of us have felt dry like this in at least some way, thirsty for more than literal water, longing for souls to be refreshed, for green hills and meadows flecked with yellow flowers rather than a barren desert, a thirst we maybe didn't even know we had. This is what life is like for this woman but to the nth degree. This woman's life is completely dried up, but this man, Jesus, this man, Jesus, he sees her. He sees her. And he knows all of it, every last detail. He knows her fears, her follies, her disappointments, and her shame, her secret sins. The fact that she's an outcast and a nobody, and he doesn't turn her away. 
In fact, he'll break all the rules, discard any convention just to be right there with her at the well. Next slide, please. Well, that's, that's the right one. Good. This is how he does it. Because as soon as they're done talking, she tosses her bucket to the side. She tosses her bucket aside and runs back to the city, and she'll, she grabs anybody who will listen and tries to, you know, she tries to, like, drag them back to Jesus at this point. Come and see, she says. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Like the old African-American spiritual that I shared in this week's newsletter says, Jesus gave me water, but it wasn't from the well. Come and see this man who told me everything I'd ever done. She's got to tell everybody the experience she's had. This is how Jesus gives her living water. Jesus sees it all, and none of it matters to him. He sees who she is, what she's done, and he's with her and loves her in spite of it all. This is the living water that Jesus is talking about. And encountering Jesus, she's come face to face with the power at the heart of the universe, with the presence of the living God. And rather than peering at her with more condemnation, he stares right back at eyes filled with gentleness, eyes brimming with mercy and forgiveness, a face overflowing with unconditional, unmerited, one-way love. That word we call grace. That word we call grace. And seeing her and knowing her and loving her, this is how Jesus pours out eternal life into the dry desert of her heart, where green shoots of hope, strength, and joy sprout for the first time that she can remember. This is the living water that Jesus gives from a well that will never run out, one that will never run dry, the well of grace. The well of grace. And the good news, dear friends, is that this well is as bottomless and as full as it ever was. Oh, just perfect. In the last few weeks, I've received emails from several of you about what's being called the Asbury Revival at Asbury University, a Christian campus in Kentucky. On February 8th, several students felt called to stick around after a chapel worship service. They felt called to continue worshiping and giving folks the opportunity for prayer. And spontaneously, it continued through the night and the next day and the next and the next and the next for more than two weeks. It finally wrapped up on the 23rd. There's like official press release. Revival ends on the 23rd. Holy Spirit stops moving on the 23rd. By the time it was done, thousands of people had flown and drove and bussed from all over North America and beyond to experience it. And some people have claimed miraculous healings. Others have spoken about basking in the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll be honest, <clears throat> I can be kind of skeptical about these things. In the United Church, we tend to be leery of charismatic expressions 
of faith. The old joke is that we're the frozen chosen, you know, more likely to have our hands in our pockets at worship than our hands in the air. We can get freaked out by people raising their, oh, what's happening? Somebody's raising their hands to a good praise song. You know, Christians like this can often be like the Samaritans in today's passage for us. No thank you, right? So when it comes to revival stuff, we might wonder if it's actually God or just the madness of crowds. And often we come up on the latter. And I'm, I'm not really sure what to think. I haven't been there. I'm not an expert at charismatic revivals. Nonetheless, I was struck by one journalist, Olivia Reingold's first-hand account. She interviewed a student. Next slide, please. Wait. Yes. No? Yes. No. This is, this is it. No, go back. Go back to the other slide. <laughs> I just didn't print out my sermon ahead of time, so now I have to tell Kelly where to, where to switch slides. She interviewed this student, uh, Gracie Turner. For the last four years at this Christian college, Gracie had kept a secret, and the secret was that she had lost her faith. In high school, she watched cancer ravage her great-grandmother. Then she saw her family fall apart. One fight drove her to call the police on a relative. I just remember thinking, why is this happening, she says. How could this happen? And my first thought, or first person to blame, was God. I would lay in bed sometimes and just pray to God like it would be really nice if I just didn't wake up tomorrow. It would be really nice if I didn't wake up tomorrow. When she got to Asbury University, she was required to go to chapel three times a week for college credit, but she never believed that God would fix anything, since life only seemed to be getting harder between the anxiety, depression, and a recent back injury that brought her to a, quote, breaking point. But one day, Sunday, something changed. She woke up and spontaneously blurted out an idea to her roommate. What if instead of doing homework, we went to chapel today? I know that my kids are always like, Dad, Mom, can we skip out on homework and do some church? <laughs> I mean, it might be the thing that they'll skip homework for, but not much else. Now we need the praise hands. There we go. She had heard that the revival had sprung forth a few days earlier and hadn't stopped, and when she opened the doors to the chapel, the same chapel that had never spoken to her came alive. The pews were packed with more than a thousand people, including many of her classmates, weeping and swaying with their eyes closed to nothing but an acoustic guitar and each other's voices. And suddenly, Gracie Turner no longer felt any pain. She no longer felt any pain. I just slumped down, she said. It was the first time in a long time where I could finally just rest because I felt like I was at peace and I was protected. I felt like it was God telling me, this is what you've been missing. This is what you've been missing. Like the woman at the well, Gracie Turner's life had dried up to almost complete nothingness. She felt hurt, she felt hopeless and estranged, but at this service of worship, she was refreshed. Like the Samaritan woman, she met someone who told her everything she'd ever done and then gave her exactly what she needed. 
one who poured out the living water she'd been missing, been thirsting for for so long. There she felt it all wash away into rest and into protective peace. Like I said, I'm not sure what to think of this whole thing, but I can't help but hear echoes of today's scripture in Turner's story. I can't help think that this is the kind of thing that God does. It sounds to me like Jesus gave her living water in the same way he gave it to the Samaritan woman at the well. And if Jesus gave it to her, like he gave it to the Samaritan woman, he can give it to me and he can give it to you too. I mean, the beauty is that we don't have to travel to some holy rolling shrine in Kentucky or anywhere else to get it. Jesus says that this water is for everyone and anyone who approaches him in spirit and in truth. That's why we fill that baptismal font every Sunday because baptism is a sign and seal of the grace that just flows and flows and flows and flows like living water. The taps are on full blast right here, right now, ready to flow into the dry, desolate places where, of your life where you can't imagine anything but dust and deadness, like Moses tapping a gushing spring from a rock. He has the living water that you need, the eternal life you long for, and promises to make it spring forth in your soul. And all you need to do is ask. And it's yours. This grace is available to all, a gift that can only be received. Now, we don't normally do stuff like this in worship, okay? Like I said, skeptical, frozen, chosen types. And this isn't going to work for everybody, and, and that's fine. That's completely fine. But I'm going to invite everybody to close their... Now, you all got worried, didn't you? <laughs> I'm going to have you each stand up and confess something that you've done to the person beside you. But no, let's, let's just close our eyes, okay? Let's just take a moment to imagine. Imagine the desert. Craggy, dead trees, a tumbleweed or two. Find that dry, empty, desolate place in you, that place of your deepest thirst. Find your anxiety, your fear for the future. Find the place of loss, of failure, of hurt. Find the guilt. Find the shame, that deadness inside of you or your chronic pain. Now know that there is someone who already knows this about you. One who knows the terrain because he's been there before. He's been human like you. He knows what you need and he longs to give it to you. Now imagine right out of one of the rocks, water, 
a little leak, a drip at first, but then gradually it bubbles. Then it bursts in one thick, wet cloud. That cool, crisp spring water rolling over every dusty square inch. And sudden shoots of green, red, blue, and gold flowers as you reach out your hands and drink deep. Feel all it wash away. Imagine your thirst dissipating with every sip, every muscle relaxing until you feel that deep sense of peace, of satisfaction. This is God's grace. This is what Jesus means by living water bubbling up within you to eternal life. It's no coincidence that often joy comes with tears. He knows what you need, and it's yours for the asking. Now repeat after me. Lord, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again. Lord, Give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again. Lord, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again. Let us pray. By the well, a thirsty woman found the life that you give we too thirst like empty vessels. Fill us with life that we may live. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit this day. Give us this water that we may never be thirsty again. Amen.